The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. two-man power trip of wrestling i'm your host jp john pause with me today very special guest you may know him as smiley of course he's a former producer creative in the wb and nxt of course former wrestler manager producer writer i mean he's done it all mr ryan Katz. ryan welcome to the two-man power trip how you doing man i'm doing great i appreciate you having me on the show and i'm looking forward to chatting with you so what are you up to? What's going on in your world? I know you're entering the podcast realm. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting last few months of transition after eight and a half years of of, of having one of the coolest, greatest jobs in the world working at NXT. Uh, the the uh, destiny had a different plan for me, and, and now things are changed. So what have I been working on? Me and Hall of Famer Road Dog Brian James, Jesse James, whichever one you want to call him, we launched a podcast last week, and we're excited that Oh You Didn't Know is now available on all podcast mediums from Apple to Spotify. You can watch on YouTube. You could be a part of our member of the ad-free networks, and, and you can take a listen to some of the stories of Road Dog's career and, and just listen to us chatting a little bit. So how did that come about? Like, how did you guys come together and think like, hey, let's just, just do a podcast. You know, I can talk. You could talk. Let's talk. So it's interesting. When, when the release first happened, I, I was definitely getting some some calls and, and some messages from a few people asking if it was something I wanted to do and, 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 and try to pursue. Uh, having had done a podcast in the past, having been a part of AfterBuzz Network uh, and doing their Monday Night Raw pre-show before I worked at WWE or after show before I worked at WWE. It was something I had experience with. Uh, I have a background in broadcast journalism and radio from, from college at the University of Colorado. So I was absolutely interested, but didn't really know how to get my foot in the door and how to get started without just saying, hey, I'm recording my own thing and hopefully get some viewers. And I got a phone call from Road Dog, and he just asked me if, if I wanted a co-host with him. And and I was excited as can be. And I was like, that sounds like an amazing opportunity. And we can go out there and be entertaining. And and as I said, we got that first one that dropped last week. And I think we're just getting our footing and our comfort levels and getting the reps in. And, and I think all the viewers and listeners are going to see that we're going to find our rhythm and we're really going to have a lot of fun. I like his philosophy and psychology on wrestling. I know I'm an, I'm an older guy. I mean, probably to compare it to a lot, a lot of people, I'm going to be 40 soon. So maybe I fit in with more what he's saying, but I just was like enthralled by some of the stuff that he said. Cause it's like, wow, I guess that does really make sense. You know what I mean? Some of the, the aspects of wrestling that people don't grasp maybe. As someone who also had such a big, boast, uh, boisterous personality and was so out there and, dare I say, even outrageous at times, it's real interesting to see his maturity and his mindset uh, of understanding that you're always there to do a job. I think now and with the emergence of, of the internet wrestling community and social media, we see that so many people have opinions of how people are being used, how storylines are created, what's going on that when you listen to someone who's been in those positions from a talent side, but then also a, a creative and office side, that 
you know, you got to do the job sometimes. And, 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 and it's not always going to be how you want things to be, but you got to do what's asked of you. And, that, and that's kind of the way life works. And it's real interesting seeing his perspective of story when as I drill him and grill him a bunch of times, trying to get a little bit of the, well, did you push back or were you upset or were you frustrated? And he's like, you know, you can go home and be frustrated about the idea. But in the end of the day, you know, you're getting paid well. You know, you're on TV doing really cool things that people are enjoying that what's there to get upset about. And I think, you know, in, in today's day and world of wrestling, if fans could appreciate what's being done as fans and just watch and enjoy and step back from the personal involvement or step back from trying to interject what should be, could be, and yeah. could have, would have, and should have, and all of those things that we can all enjoy a product so much. Because even in the sense of real sports, things don't always go the way you want them to go in the game. And that's just a fact of life. And, and wrestling and wrestling fans have definitely gotten to this point of wanting so much control of the outcome to be what they want it to be when in, in the real world, it doesn't necessarily work that way. True. So what are some of the topics you guys are going to be discussing in the future? So we'll definitely be going through his career. I mean, this is generally going to be a, a, a walk down memory lane and a sit under the learning tree and listen to how things were done. So we started off with the uh, creation and formation of the New Age Outlaws. Uh, this episode coming on this week is going to be about the New Age Outlaws joining Degeneration X. Uh, the following week, next week, we're going to actually move into the TNA side of things and talk about the creation of VKM, the Voodoo Kin Mafia. And, and it's going to be a great episode because it's it's getting into a little bit of the controversy. And he was pushing buttons and irritating people. And we get to hear some of the stories from his side and perspective of, you know, poking the bear, so to speak. That's some good stuff uh, for sure. How did you like get connected with him? Was it through NXT when he was down there and you're there? Is that basically the genesis of the relationship? Yeah, but uh, before getting to WWE, we briefly met at a WrestleCon convention, and it was more of just kind of a, a in passing and an acknowledgement that like I thought maybe he knew who I was as GQ Money at that point. Yeah. Obviously, I know him. <laughs> WWE at NXT he's down at the performance center one day and he comes up to me and he actually remembered that moment at WrestleCon and he revealed to me that he thought I was Matt Lucas the actor and he had been watching the show uh Crab uh, Crab Ragoon or the the legend of it was on Comedy Central I always say Crab Rangoon it's not what it is but uh there was the show that Matt Lucas was doing and he thought I was him with my bald head and just thought I was this actor and it was this connection that was just this humorous thing that started us talking and and he's got this big personality and he's fun to be around and he sings and he's playful and he jokes and I have a big personality as well so the energies kind of just flowed together and then later towards the end of the tenure the last few years uh, when, when, when he came down to, to NXT creative, we got to work hand in hand for a couple of years, just together in, in helping develop some talent. And it was a really good time. That's great. He thought you're somebody else. That's great. Uh, with like him and, and creative and stuff like that, do you guys see eye to eye with creative? Like when you're writing and he's writing. So I, I, it, it's a team atmosphere, and there, there's definitely a team atmosphere. So I, I think the biggest, and I, and, and I can't get into too many details on some of the right, specifics of, of that right. crea creative process, but I think we all bring s something to the table. So generally, the thing would go is, is we know we have an agenda, or we're given some bullet points of what we need to do for a person or character, and or whether it comes to dialogue and promo and, and stuff like that. So, so I, I think generally, ideas get presented, and we all kind of do our own thing and then come back in the group atmosphere and, and, and kind of brainstorm and workshop to see what's going to work out. So I, I think we definitely saw eye to eye in a lot of things. Uh, and, and, and there's definitely times that there's conflict and differences of opinion. And I think that's what actually allows for really good creative to happen is, is you don't want everything to be yes, 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 yes. You do need some pushback. And, and as frustrating as it could be to get pushback on your ideas, 
ideas, on your stories, on your writing, on your editing, whatever it may be, that pushback usually leads you to making your own edits, revisions, corrections, and improvements. And in the end, even if you get frustrated and upset that it's not something you wanted to do or you thought it was perfect as it is, it becomes a point where you end up improving your skill set when other people get their eyes on it and make you take a more discerning, critical view to your to your work. So when you're there, not to get like too much behind the curtains, sure. but like, are you producer, creative? Like, are you everything all in one writer? Like, what's like the actual, not job title, but almost like that. Like, what's the actual job? So I was a creative producer is what I was for most of my tenure there. And, and, and that was a wide variety of responsibilities. So generally speaking, I ran promo classes uh, and, and helped newer talent kind of get their footing in the building and develop their persona, get comfortable as a sports entertainer, get comfortable performing in front of people, get comfortable being uncomfortable and putting themselves in positions where maybe they'll feel a little embarrassed, maybe they'll feel a little shy and try to break down that barrier. Uh, generally, I would say I was a motivating coach of performance. Uh, I, I tried to bring confidence out of the talent and help them really envision what they wanted for themselves and then try to push them into that vision so they can become it. Uh, without going into specifics, I think one of the secrets, and my wife shouldn't say secrets, one of the things that helps people become more successful in, in, in this realm, whether it's at WWE, whether it's at any other company, is the confidence to know who you are and what you want to be. If you show doubt, if you show insecurity when presenting your ideas, it's probably gonna, gonna end up that you're not gonna get what you want. But if you have authority and if you have confidence and you have conviction and you present it as it's something you have to do, must do, and will do, rather than actually asking or saying, eh, what do you think of this? You're probably gonna get the opportunity to make that happen for yourself. So to anyone that's in the business that's listening to this, I could just encourage you to stay strong to the convictions of who you are and what you want to be. If you are pursuing this as, as your profession, you know what the vision is of what you want to be as a professional wrestler or as a sports entertainer, if it's for WWE, and you have to put in the work, the effort, and make yourself so undeniable at what you want to be that they have no choice but to let you be what you want to be. And I think we see that at AEW a lot right now where people build these personas up. They have success on the indie level, you know, on the indie scene. They're building these fan bases. They have support. And then they get to go push forward and, and, and take that same idea to the next level in front of a larger audience with bigger and better production. In WWE, I think there is a, 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 stigma that you may not get a chance to do what you want to do. And I think that's an unfair representation as it's a matter of how a lot of those ideas are presented. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not a perfect world that everything's always going to happen how you want it to. This is the real world and everyone has their own path and journey of making things happen. But if you have conviction, if you have confidence, and if you present yourself knowing what you are, who you are, what you want to be, and how you want to be seen you're going to have a chance to be seen that way. Cody Rhodes, perfect example. Like literally, I mean, that's the 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 blueprint right there. I mean, he said he wanted to go off and, and, and show the world who he was, prove to himself what he was capable of doing. And now he's going back for a multi, multi-million dollar contract, put in the top spot, and is going to get a chance to live the legacy and live the dream that he always wanted to do. And look at the metrics getting the highest rating segment. I don't care if you call it demo or the regular, the viewers, he's getting the highest on both. Uh, they're having him lead off the show because of that. Obviously, you know, they're trying to get the highest his song. It just broke like 8 million downloads or something. So, I mean, he's killing it in all these metric YouTube views. I mean, he's killing it in a lot of metrics. 
It's wild. I mean, it's a wacky world of wrestling right now and seeing the volatility, the changes, uh, just the whole landscape taking taking a different perspective every few months. It, it's interesting to see what's happening and it's unpredictable. And we all know unpredictability makes the best sort of wrestling we could all watch as fans. Yes, definitely. Now, you said something before. It's very interesting. Comfortable with being uncomfortable. What do you mean by that? That's interesting. So, so especially in a world at WWE, sometimes you're going to be asked to do something you don't want to do and you may not be comfortable. And when I say not comfortable, I don't mean like that, that oh, you, you're against it from your human value. I, I don't mean they're going to ask you to do something that you shouldn't right. do. But, right. but in the case of something, uh, the, the best example, if, if someone asks you to put on a dress for a segment, it may make you uncomfortable as a man to be put in that position. But like a William Regal would be the first to say, Go make the best of it and have fun with it. Instead of thinking about, oh, how it's embarrassing me or how it's going to ruin my image or make me look bad or make me look soft, weak, or any of those things, how can you take what's been given to you and make the best of the situation? Maximize what you've been given to go entertain the people, put smiles on people's faces because that's always been the directive over there, and, and, and just bring forth the true entertainment value of what you're being asked to do. I think is performance. Performers, uh, we all take ourselves a little bit too seriously sometimes. And sometimes you got to just take a breath, step back and realize, hey, if I can laugh at myself and let other people laugh at me, it, it, it's not a sign of weakness. It actually becomes a strength and you put yourself in control that they're laughing with you, not at you. And it actually can help empower someone that's watching you know, at, at home. It could help make someone who's feeling that they've been bullied or being picked on realize that, oh, I, I can deal with it in a different manner as well. I mean, you can be a role model. You can find a way to, there's so many ways you can take what's being given to you. So what I say is if, if you're in a situation that makes you uncomfortable, get comfortable. So on, on, on a, on a totally different side, maybe you're asked to go speak to a, to an assembly of students at a school. And maybe for you while performing in the ring is something that you really enjoy the public speaking aspect of getting up in front of people and telling your personal story uh taking away the 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 disguise of costume and character and being vulnerable and being real and being able to express your feelings that may make you uncomfortable i encourage people to get comfortable being uncomfortable so they're no longer uncomfortable in this those in those situations if someone wants to be a superstar if someone wants to climb to the highest levels of the industry it's not just what they're able to do inside the ring it's what they can do outside of the ring as well when it comes to being that role model when it comes to promotional opportunities when it comes to to appearances meet and greets signing each and every last autograph doing things that make you uncomfortable and getting comfortable doing it that's pretty smart yeah i like that because you never know you maybe they you give you something like the polka dots and you know like what, what are you going to do with it well i'm going to turn it into something great you know what i mean you never know it's the same thing. So, so, so another timely thing, all these wrestlers at WWE are getting new names again. And, and now we'll see the IWC generally take an opinion of, oh, they're ruining people with these names. Why do they change the names? Here's the deal. It's business. They want to own the name. So that's the fact of what it is. And when you sign the contract, you understand that that's something that WWE likes to do. Now, when it comes to the actual names, Names don't make the talent. Talent makes the name. I, I feel very strongly that if I was given an absolutely ridiculous name, and in fact, I've given myself ridiculous names in my career, that like you can go make something of it. When I, when I went to TNA, I called myself Lee Handsome, devilish Lee Handsome. And it was stupid. And I always knew it was stupid, but it was quirky. It was fun. It was awkward. And it made people, you know, it gave them the opportunity to crack a joke. It gave them the opportunity to poke fun at me. It gave them the opportunity to chant something at me. When I first started my career, I was ringside Ryan and people immediately started calling me ringworm. I felt like that's a positive thing. An insult in the world of being a heel character is something that's positive. So you can take a name and use it to generate heat. You can use it to garner sympathy. You can, it's 
it's it's just one of those things that even when we pitch names, there's so many times where people would be, I don't like that name. That doesn't sound like a real name. Oh, that wouldn't be something. How many times do you meet people who have an awkward name or an unusual name and you sit and go, huh, I've never heard a name like that before. And you hear a little story of how they got that name. That's what helps them and made them who they were. So once again, if you get an awkward name in a, in, in a situation, then use that to help form your character because now you need to think back and not go, oh, I'm a new character who has this outrageous name of... of, of uh, I don't even have something stupid in my mind. I was going to call someone Teddy Barilla one. I'll, I'll go Weston Blake on the scene right now. Corey Weston. Uh, he was yeah. part of Blake and Murphy, the, the Forgotten Sons. Yep. When I first met him, I, I, I jokingly, playfully said, let's call you Angus Chuck because you just look like some ground beef, tough ground beef right now. And it was a joke name. Once again, it's not something that I was pushing for real, but it was something I thought was fun and accentuated his personality. Now, you think about it. If you grew up with the name Angus Chuck, you're probably going to get teased. You're probably going to get story. All these things help create the character. So to me, an outrageous and silly name name absolutely helps a performer pull out personality traits, backstories, anything interesting that allows them and help them mold them to be the performer that they are. I always think like Dolph Ziggler, if that guy can make that name work, I mean, you nobody else can complain. When you first heard the name, you're like, that is awful. And guess what? 20 years later or whatever, 15 years later, we're not saying that's awful. We're saying, no, oh, he's great. Or, you know, you know, he's a, a great worker, you know, stuff like that. But even then, I don't know if I ever thought it was an awful name. I mean, I was just originally thinking it was the playoff of the Dirk Diggler at that point. Right. And yep. it was something silly based on pop culture and a cultural reference of the time that, like you said, though, if you can go out and make the most of it, you can turn it around. And he has had a long, you know, longevity in his career. He's made a lot of money. And I think he's probably pretty happy that he was Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting. Uh, Walter, Walter, if you will, Walter. just said, Walter, if he said recently that if he was Gunther originally changed to Walter, that they would complain and vice versa. So, I mean, he even made a point of saying, like, I like the name. I, you know, I don't care. So he even said it. I mean, everyone has resistance to change. Change is uncomfortable. Once again, yeah. getting okay. comfortable being uncomfortable. So we're in situations of being asked to look at things different than how we've looked at them before. We have a perceived notion. We have an image already in our minds. And now we're asked to change that. So it's difficult. I understand the viewpoint of, of, of the resistance. But at the same point, a name's a name. And if you like the performer enjoy what the performer is going to do in the future. Let's not look at the past. Let's look forward towards the future. Now, I know WWE, it's, it's a big monster. You got so many moving parts, so much going on. NXT always felt like the writing staff and the creative was so focused in on the guys. Like they all had their own characters. Sometimes you're watching WWE TV and not, I mean, everybody has their own character kind of, but it's harder to kind of pull it out. NXT, you could see somebody like Tony D'Angelo immediately. Like, oh, this like a ma mafioso guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like even LA Knight, like all oh, this cocky, arrogant, uh, brash, I mean, just every guy seemed like he had something immediately. Was that like a real, like strong point of NXT was just the creative writing with the talent? I know it's less talent to work with, but still, it seems like, was that like a strong point? Absolutely a strong point. And one of the things that the Performance Center is meant to do is, is character development and talent development. It comes from a talent development department. So I think for all of those guys, they're young, they're hungry, and they're looking forward to opportunities. So they're able to sink their teeth into it. They're a little bit fresher, fresh-eyed. So the ideas, you know, are 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 more easily flowing and, and the pitches are a little more constant, but it's just a matter of time and in and, and, and the, the sense of where we're at in the industry. Cause, cause there's always been phenomenal characters and talented NXT and there's always been people who haven't gotten opportunities. And now we're getting to see some more people get opportunities, which is always awesome because my favorite thing about working there was working with the people. I got to work with uh, talent from all over the world 
that had cultures different than mine, that had backgrounds different than mine, beliefs different than mine. And as a person, that allowed me to have growth, that allowed me to have evolution, and that allowed me to, what I feel like, better myself as, as an individual because I'm able to see things from other people's perspectives that I wasn't able to do before. And I'm able to look at things and go, oh, Maybe I didn't see that from my point of view, but when I think of it from their point of view, I understand what's saying and I can tweak those, you know, those types of things. So with you and like getting into NXT, how did that happen? Because obviously, you know, you're on the scene, you're on the Indies, like you said, you were in XPW, GQ Money, you're in TNA, uh, you have a horrible name, Fabian Kalen or whatever in Wrestling Society Act. I mean, how does it kind of formulate where it's like, man, you're in NXT? So my WWE journey was long. I actually had my first interview in Stamford, Connecticut in 1999. Uh, after I had graduated oh. college, I, I was able to score an interview to try to get a production assistant job. And my, my first phase of the interview went phenomenal with the HR department. It was awesome. Matt DeLuca was the gentleman's name. And from the old days when Stone Cold was the boss of WWE for a day and he was at the office, that was the old guy who was walking around with him at the office. So had oh, this yeah. great interview with him that went phenomenal. And then he drives me over to the production studio, which is a few miles away from the, 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 the main headquarters. And I have my interview with the production team and they watch my demo reel. And my demo reel was definitely focused on me as talent and they were like this is for a production job behind the scenes we could tell that you want to pursue this as an entertainer as talent we encourage you to go get experience uh and then hit us up then so i went back to colorado went back home and i ended up i was doing a radio show at the time and i met some people who were training pro wrestlers so they were training people and doing tryouts uh, a guy named D uh, dan magnus and Bobby Black. And they were doing tryouts in Denver and then sending people to Steve Kern's school in Florida because Bobby was trained by Steve Kern. So it was send them off to the school of hard knocks, create this relationship. Uh, I had them on my radio show and through a bit where I was supposed to piss them off and we have an on-air little fight, they ended up swearing on the air and I was on probation with the radio station because they, they claimed that I had bootlegged a Roots concert, uh, which was a story for another time and another type of podcast. But I ended up getting kicked off the air and those guys felt really bad about it and realized I had this skill set that could benefit what they were doing. And we started up our own company, uh, you know, promotion, the CWO, as well as School Slam City. And we had some real nice success for about a year and a half. And we were getting covered on all of the major Denver newspapers and all of the news programs and magazine shows. I even had an opportunity to do a roundtable discussion on PBS coming from the perspective of a young promoter. It was just this awesome opportunity, but it grew to what it was going to be. Uh, my partners at the time, or my partner, was trying to push his girlfriend to get signed by WWE, and that kind of became the the main focus at the time. I knew I was at the start of my career and wanted something bigger and more, and it was when I started to prep to make my California move. So, to make a long story short, that was two thousand and nine. Uh, excuse me, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, multiple times over the next many years, I submitted my tape for commentary. I submitted it as a manager. I was trying to get the rub and get the contacts, the tryouts, whatever it would be, to, to no avail. In 2003, I remember sending in letters of recommendation from uh, former WCW Scott, uh, commentator Scott Hudson, uh, who I was doing some work with in Nashville at the time. I sent in a letter of recommendation from Dave Price, who was the national weatherman for the CBS early show as I was his intern in college, uh, and, and just trying to get these opportunities and break the barriers down and last still no avail. 2012 comes of all these years, I'm still pushing. So 13 years, I'm going, I'm going, and I'm trying to do this. And finally, I get a breakthrough with the with the guy who was doing talent development time, Ty Bailey. And I was able to meet with him at SummerSlam in Los Angeles, 2012. And he gave me an opportunity to kind of get in there. And they tried me out as a referee. I did some interviews. I cut some promos. And things were cool. And they brought me to another show in Vegas. And, and, and I actually helped get Luchasaurus signed at the time before he was Luchasaurus. And a woman named Buggy Nova, uh, who I helped in those opportunities. And 
and all of a sudden I get a phone call and I thought my dream came true because I got a call from Johnny Ace and I was offered a contract as talent. And I was, I, I was on top of the world. And about a month later, well, 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 let me go back. Two days after getting the FedEx contract in the mail, getting my contracts FedExed, I look on the internet and I see that Ty Bailey gets fired. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. That's the guy who was hiring me. And this has happened twice in my life, actually, where I had big opportunities and someone gets fired and I lost opportunities. One, out of college, I almost scored a job with WCW to work on their internet department in the emergence of the hotline back in the late 90s and the website as it was growing. My contact ended up getting transferred from WCW to Cartoon Network, another Turner entity. And when that happened, my file went away and my job opportunity went away. Uh, years later, I was supposed to be a contestant on Deal or No Deal. Went through all the audition processes. Everything was great. I was on the yes list, and I was just told to wait for my recording date. Some months went by. I never got the call, never got the call. I finally got in touch with someone to find out. My casting producer got fired. His files got scrapped. So I read this that Ty Bailey's fired, and I'm like, oh, no, this could be the trifecta right here. A day or two after that, FCW shutting down is the story online. And I'm going, oh, this is this is crazy. This is a, a, at the pinnacle of, of my success or hopeful success. And all of this seems like it's kind of crumbling. And a few weeks later, when waiting for my date to go do my medical testing, I get a phone call, the infamous 203 number. And you just kind of know, you get that feeling like when I saw the 203 the first time, there was this feeling of excitement of, oh my God, is this what I think it is? And then on this one, it was, this isn't going to be a good call. And I picked it up and they told me they were rescinding the offer and it sucked. And I remember I wasn't, I, I, I was having some tough time, uh, financial times at the time. So I remember I get off the phone and I wanted to throw my phone at the wall so bad, but I'm like, well, that would be really stupid because that's going to cost me a lot of money. Yeah. So I just throw it at my couch because I'm still angry, but I'm not going to break something. I'm not that angry that I'm going to be stupid. Uh, and, and immediately, right after that frustration of throwing the phone, I got back to work and I created a new character that night. And I created a new website the next day. And I started shooting new vignettes for a character I called Styles Monroe. And it was just all these little tidbits about what was going on in the world of wrestling as a fashion stylist who was going to do personality makeovers for people. And I tried making that something. And six months go by and nothing's going on. And I'm at the warehouse of one of my sponsors. I was sponsored by Headblade, a razor company. And Headblade, uh, in their warehouse, there was a worker named Jack. And Jack was a volleyball player. Uh, and Jack was just like, my buddy just got hired by WWE. And I was like, oh yeah, who's your buddy? He's like, Canyon Seaman. I was like, oh, that's the guy who kind of just took my job away. He's like, let me text him right now. And he texts him a picture of me right there. And Canyon writes Jack back and is just like, Tell him I know who he is, and I've got something for him. It's just going to take a couple of months. Just hang tight, and things will be okay. And a few months went by, and he hit me up, and I started doing some work, and I got to be a part of the uh, uh, Diva Search. It wasn't the official TV one, but like an unofficial one-month tryout in L.A. that was a Diva Search that, that uh, Eva Marie came from. And JoJo came from and uh, Lana came from and I got to work with them for the month and I got to go on a trip to the Arnold Classic uh, with Canyon and, and we got to go see Triple H get inducted and Bruno San Martino get inducted and, and, and Mark and, and on this cool experience. And then a few months later, it turned into we're opening up the Performance Center in Orlando and I got to become the first employee of the WWE Performance Center. So a 13 or 14 year journey of trying to, to break through, get my foot in the door, almost had my foot in the door, was thrown back out, and then it finally came to be. Uh, and just through complete perseverance, dedication, commitment, sacrifice, and all those things, was fortunate enough to, to be able to be in the position I was and have one of the best jobs.
What a journey. And the first, I didn't realize that the first employee, I didn't know that. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's something I'll always say. It's something I'll always have pride in, 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 in getting that no one can take away from me. That was that I was Canyon's first hire first full-time person and got to go help make some magic happen. Cause, cause especially those first five years, I mean, my whole time there was great, but those first five years was just beyond special as, as, NXT at that point, 2013 to 2018-ish, completely changed the landscape of pro wrestling. And I think if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't see what we have today with AEW, with Ring of Honor, with New Japan, with MLW, with all of these, these companies kind of putting out new product, NWA getting back in the mix. Like all of these things and the growth and the interest was because NXT was pretty freaking special. Wow. With NXT and like doing that, what was the the thought process like when it was first started? Obviously, Triple H's baby, but like, what is your role? Like, hey, we're gonna make this thing bigger than than um, you know, just developmental, or like, was that not even said? Not even at that point. I came in; it, it was developmental. So, I mean, the job was to just make the best possible product and create the best wrestlers we could. Uh, it, it, my job responsibility was to be indispensable. That, that that's what I was really asked to do. So I, especially in those first two years, did everything. Uh, it didn't matter. I helped. <laughs> I ran cable in the building. I I, 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 I did technical stuff. I did cleaning stuff. I ordered supplies. I did editing. I did writing. I did uh, just lugging equipment around. It, it, it didn't matter what I had my hands in it is I was asked to be indispensable. And I knew that was my job to be that way. Jack of all trades. Absolutely. And master of many. Yes. <laughs> so when you're there and, and you're working with Triple H, how is he? Because, you know, it's funny because years ago, you know, when I, I'm, I'm a young fan and I'm watching wrestling, he's hated. You know, he's a politician. He's this. He's that. Now years go by and years go by and now he's beloved and he's a leader and he's a father. And, you know, and he really became a mentor to a lot of people. So how is he to work for in NXT? I mean, he, he, he's a tough boss. He, he, he demands excellence and demands you to bring the best out of yourself. Uh, generally, every person that's working there has set a high bar for themselves. Uh, generally, the people hired are, are at the top of their craft. And when already setting that bar so high, it's up to you to raise the bar and exceed past your potential. And he tries to bring that out of all his people. How was your relationship with him? I, I would say professional. I mean, that, that's the, I, I was given responsibilities. We didn't necessarily have a friendship, but, but I was asked to do stuff and I tried to do the job to my best of ability. And, and most of the time, I think he was pretty pleased with my work and the few times that he wasn't, you know, you were dis he was disappointed and it kind of, you know, it, as I was saying before, sometimes you get criticism and it's not something you want to hear or feel but it, it helps you improve what you're doing. It helps you look at yourself from a different perspective, look at your work from a different perspective that, hey, maybe you thought it was great, but if I take another look, I, I, I guess I can see it could be better. So just always, always pushing you to be excellent. What did you think about the retirement of Triple H? Were like, were you a big fan, and and you know, not just of him, but of just wrestling in general? And you see a big star retire, but what were your thoughts of Triple H retiring? I mean, the retirement's an emotional thing for sure, and and, and to unfortunately not have control of the outcome, uh, I I think that's the most disappointing part. But in terms of how it was executed, I thought it was classy. I thought it was emotional, uh, and, and and I think. He, he has done it all, and I don't think there should be any reason that he should feel like, oh, he didn't get the last match he wanted. That man has had the opportunity to do incredible things in front of all of us, entertain us all, done it at the highest level. I, I, I don't know what one more match can do for you when, to me, there's so much fulfillment in what he's been able to do and accomplish. 
So were you a part of the anger management and what year was that? Was that <laughs> so anger I'm management? I think you, was, you were right. Yeah, I was 2012 and I was actually wearing the styles Monroe. The, the name yeah. Okay. I was going to say that name sounds so familiar. Okay. Yeah. So it was myself in terms of indie wrestlers in there and Scorpio sky was in the Herald role on that uh and daniel bryan and kane and those were some fun skits so that was that SummerSlam weekend and you know or the week before that SummerSlam, and we went to a hotel in la and we filmed a few of those little vignettes and it was a ton of fun and 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 that was where i met kane and from my experience of in my interactions with kane when working full-time for wwe he always remembered me from that, and he always knew my name. And I always thought the first time when I saw Kane at the Performance Center and he called me Ryan, especially because most people don't ever call me Ryan. It's just not like people don't use my first name. Uh, and he was, and he knew me as Ryan. I just went home, and I was like, well, that's pretty cool. Kane remembered who I was, knew my name, and it, it really made me feel good that day. So, like, it, it, it was a cool thing, and there were always those kinds of things that happened of just – Little little things that made you feel good. I mean, work working there was an awesome experience. Yeah, that's great. And the anger management stuff. The funny thing about that is, it's like, okay, Kane is like this legendary character. It's Undertaker's brother. Daniel Bryan may be the best wrestler in the world still today, but he was then. But it's like, what can make these guys work? And it's like the character development, the, like a little bit of comedy mixing. You guys sprinkled in with your one-liners, Doctor Shelby. It really was great. You know, a little bit of character development go a long way. There's a lot of criticism of the WWE product, and and, un, and it's unfortunate that that happens. But the truth is, there's a lot of good entertaining segments that get created, and there's a lot of good work. And a lot of fans, I think even when that happened, probably criticized and commented of how stupid it was, and why would Daniel Bryan be in that role, and why are yeah. they being forced to interact? Yeah. And it's once again... Some of those strange bedfellows, those odd couple pairings, bring forth the best entertainment in in our wacky world of wrestling. It oddly got him over, you know what I mean? Like, or more over, really, you know what I mean? It really set him up for the next stage of his, his career. I mean, I remember when Daniel Bryan lost in eight seconds or whatever it was to Sheamus at WrestleMania, and the internet went crazy of how dare they, how dare they, when all that did was build him to become an absolute megastar. And I think sometimes, like as I was saying earlier, people need to step back, be the fan, watch and hopefully enjoy the product, not try to control it, because sometimes there is a plan that you don't know about and you have to go crack a few eggs to make that omelet. It's so funny because he loses in eight seconds. Him and Sheamus are here. Sheamus is here because he wins. And all of a sudden he loses in eight seconds. And he goes here and Sheamus stays right nuts the way that worked out. I was doing After Buzz at the time. And I remember all the comments. And I remember the questions and people talking about it. And I just still, I no, th this is going to be great for his career. It doesn't matter that he loses like that. This is storyline. This is character development. This is angle development. And this is what allowed him to be what we see today. And once again, a superstar who's, old, you know, who's able to go make millions of dollars on his own terms right now, wrestling the matches he wants to have on AEW. Phenomenal. Crazy. And I remember that few with Randy Orton, he kept winning and losing and winning. And then like every time he'd lose, he'd get more over and more. It was really remarkable the way he was able to do that. Losing's a great way for a heel to generate heat, to, to develop their personality traits, to show frustration, to show anger, to show comedy, you know, a comic relief, to have timing about their, you know, by pulling facial expressions. It, it's such a great way to, to, to be able to develop your skill set. So with you, I remember seeing you on screen with the vaudevillains. Mm -hmm. Was that always like a thought like, oh, I want to get on there because that was a great spot for you. You know what I mean? Doing that entrance. So so William Regal actually pitched me for that role. I remember they were doing the, the characters. So the vaudevillains were an act. And I remember it was Regal who pitched me being a barker for them in their intro. So we filmed the intro and it was pretty cool and it lasted. And, and I remember it was a lot of fun to do. I also remember being at a Brooklyn takeover and I was actually in the crowd with my camera getting crowd reactions and shots. And Vaudevillains came out. And one of these, this fan 
was doing my whole intro, like word for word. And I'm standing in front of him with my camera shooting him do it. And he has no clue that it's me. And I just thought that was funny as can be. I would have been like, hey, isn't that GQ money? What's going on over there? <laughs> it was always fun when a few people would recognize, but most people didn't. I mean, as stupid as it is, I darkened a, a, a goatee. And it, so it didn't look exactly like me, but obviously that voice is pretty uh, uh, distinguished. <laughs> distinguishing. Yes. They probably didn't expect to see you in the crowd. You know what I mean? No, he's over there. He's doing the entrance. <laughs> he's not in the crowd. Yeah. yeah. I always got, I always hoped it would become something more, but knew it wouldn't. And then once we, uh, we, we filmed an alternative before the villains were released of a heel version of it, uh, where I changed and, and I put on like a dummy mask and I popped out of a box like I was a jack in the box doing it. And it was a lot of fun, but never seen but good times oh, that wouldn't be bad yeah that would have been pretty creative i like that it was it was creepy <laughs> oh yeah definitely heelish yes <laughs> did you have any like other plans of like hey i want to get out there on tv more or do you like more behind the scenes so i love performing i've been a performer my whole life so it was actually strange for me to always then be in the behind the scenes role uh, super enjoyable i mean I, I i love doing it and and there is so much uh, it's so rewarding to be able to help someone else live and fulfill their dreams. I mean, that that's something that 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 it's an experience that you just you get to feel you get to feel their emotions. You get to live vicariously through them a little bit, too. And then just to have the pride of seeing I don't have kids, but it's like having your kids do well. Uh, so so I, I, I had always been a performer. So th there was a piece of me that always felt a little bit unfulfilled uh creatively uh i got to put creative energy into other people but in the wwe world there it wasn't my job to get attention it was job to to get other people attention so i i feel i i kind of pushed down a lot of my own personal creative interests uh i stopped making music as much as i used to and kind of just you know, I, I was all in on my job. I mean, it's a, I, I, I worked a lot. It was something that I was committed to and given 100% to, to being the best I could be. So I like to perform. So every, from the day I got that release, man, I started writing music again. And, and I've been putting down, I got like, I don't know, in the last few months, probably done about 12 to 14 songs. And I'm looking forward to this summer, hopefully dropping an album uh that, that that should be available on on apple music spotify and all those sources we'll get to it and you'll hear more about it on the podcast as as we start to drop the singles coming clean in the next couple of months but i just like to entertain people i i'm an energetic person and i like to feed off other people's energy so so whether it's in front of a live crowd which is where i really feel i strive uh I, I, I got the juice. I like to perform. <laughs> Were you surprised by the release? Surprised, yeah. But at, at the same point, like, understood. Uh, things are changing. The world's changing. The company's changing. Uh, things go in different directions. So, it, yeah, I mean, it was something I was surprised about. I mean, I can't say I'm not disappointed. I like being gainfully employed full time in, in, in a dream job situation. But since it happened, like, I'm just more so excited. I mean, there, there, there's a breath of relief of, of freedom. And it's not freedom that, oh, I've been shackled and chained. No, it's just the freedom of, I had a high stress job that was high output, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So to be able to just chill and take things at a slower pace and do things my way and, and, and just just have some fun and smile. It, it, it's, it's been a nice, refreshing change. But at the same point, it also allows you to go, I'm a guy who likes to work a lot and work hard. So it, it's time to get back to work. And you're the lemon too, right? Just to kind of go back. I just was, <laughs> was thinking about that. Adam Rhodes, right? Yeah. There were a lot you of probably want to go back to being the, the lemon. Yeah. There, yeah, doing a little dance. <laughs> there, there were a lot of comedy roles that I got to do. There was a time that even in when we were doing pitch videos for characters, that I would turn in some pitch videos and Dusty would all of a sudden be like, I hate it. And the talent would be like, oh no, why does Dusty hate it? 
And I would find out the only reason he hated it was because I didn't uh, like put myself as an Easter egg in the video. He'd like, I want you as an Easter egg in all these videos. I want you <laughs> hidden in all these videos. And, and it was just some goofy, stupid stuff. But like, man, I don't even know where I was going with that. But Dusty, thinking about that. I want you hidden in those videos. I remember Solomon, uh, Sammy Callahan with lost sleep for a day because he thought Dusty hated his video. And the only reason Dusty hated it was because I wasn't in the video and it made no sense. But <laughs> How was it like working with Big Dust? I mean, that's got to be an experience in, in and of itself. I got two years with Dusty and those were the most amazing things ever. I mean, he became, he became the grandpa to me. I mean, uh, when, when he passed, I had never been affected by a death. Like I was with dusty roads. Like I, it wrecked me, man. It wrecked me. Like the emotion was just constant. And, and I think it's cause he supported me so much there and he had my back and he fought for me and he believed in me and he pushed me to do what I can do and, and allowed me to be creative and experiment and push the boundaries and, and, and test the waters of what was maybe too much or too edgy. And, and when he wasn't there anymore, like I, it was it, oh, it, it was the worst. Like I, I I couldn't function the same way that I had. I, I felt I lost my support system. Uh, and obviously you get that back. But I, I remember later in that year. So it was Mania Access, you know, that next year uh, when they unveiled the trud, the statue and man, like that was already like your, I think it was probably six, eight months later. Cause I think it was June, July. It was the summer, I think when he passed. And so that would have been March, April. And, and even when they unveiled that statue, like I, I just couldn't stop crying, man. Like, and then I'd get my composure and I'd walk back up to the group and I'd go to talk and it would just well up and I'd be like, I, I gotta walk away. Like, Oh, it, it just, he was awesome, man. He, I mean, rebel spirit, that was entertaining, that told stories, that made you feel special. That I mean, everyone has the same thing to say. Just what, what an individual. Yeah, it's uh, so great. I actually had the opportunity two days before he had passed. I interviewed him, his last ever interview. <laughs> no idea he was sick. No idea anything you know it was going on. So when I heard, I was like, "What the?" I was shocked because you know he. I thanked him for the interview. Called him back. You know, it's so much appreciated. Yeah. You know, we'll do it. We'll do it again. I, you know, I'm thinking, okay, okay. Now we got Dusty. This is unbelievable. You know, like one of the all time greats. Maybe like a Mount Rushmore guy. I got him on my phone. This is great. You know, I still have a voicemail from him. Just nothing like we're buddies or anything. But he melt. He made you feel like we were buds, even though he hardly knew me. You know, absolutely. I mean, he he had a way of just bringing this warmth and make it feel like it was just you two in the like i said grandpa and grandchild you just you just yeah. felt this connection yep man it's what, what a legend too it's got to be awesome because like he did the promo classes like you were doing some promo class i mean there's some good vibes there good stuff so i remember when he passed we were scheduled to do our first pc all access where the fans paid an expensive price to come spend a day at the performance center and one of the things in that package was promo class with dusty Rhodes. wow and when he passed it became promo class with ryan katz and i was like oh this is just awful like all these people wanted Dusty, and now they got me, the guy who they have no clue who he is. And I, I just felt so small trying to fill those shoes, and and they're shoes that can't be filled. Yeah, it's un unbelievable. Just crazy. Just the whole um, situation with him passing just like that, Just especially just talking to him when he passes. Crazy, but it's awesome you got to work with him and spend the time with him that you did. Absolutely, 100%. Now, you mentioned music and music projects. What kind of music are you are you doing? Like, what are you, what are you into? What are you doing? I'm a hip-hop MC. I've been an MC since probably I'm like 12 years old. So we're going like 33 years of doing this and, and writing rhymes and performing. Uh, when I went to school in Colorado, we used to do shows all the time around Boulder and Denver. 
And when I lived in LA, I was fortunate enough to get to do some cool shows there. And I got to open up for some legends. I uh, got to open up for Curtis Blow in Santa Monica, also in Denver. I uh, got to open up for my favorite rapper of all time, KRS-One at the Key Club in Hollywood. Got to open for one of my favorite groups of all time, Digital Underground, Rest in Peace, Shock G, Humpty Hump. Uh, and... and it's just been something I've always pursued, always enjoyed. And in fact, I think it's the skill set that allowed me to have success doing everything I do in wrestling. Uh, being a rapper and being able to freestyle is absolutely what gave me my gift of gab on the mic when it came to promo skills. Wow. Didn't realize that uh, you were doing some hip hop and some rap. I didn't expect that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, that's definitely been my bag forever. Uh, uh, I, I, as I kind of explained with talking about like the people at the performance center coming from all over the world and different cultures. Uh, ever since I was young, I always liked immersing myself with people who were different than me. So being a white suburban kid, I always liked learning from and hanging with people of different perspectives of mine. And, and, and I got into rap music when I was young and it's, it's been something that's, I think my parents thought it was going to be a phase in my life and it's something that stuck with me my entire life and it's something I'll take with me my entire life and I'll continue to represent the Kango as an old school hip hop head <laughs> and, and do what we do, represent that real hip hop. Now, just going back, XPW, obviously GQ Money was, mm -hmm. was a big part of that. XPW is making a return. GQ Money, is, I mean, is it possible that he could end up back in uh, XPW? Is that, would that be crazy? I, it would definitely be crazy. Uh, I, I think it's an unlikely situation. Uh, and, and the way that I say this is I have fond memories of my time at XPW. It was some of the best years of my life uh, as, in my young mid-20s getting to live an outrageous life of, of a weekly wrestling show that was over-the-top boundary pushing, getting to be surrounded by adult entertainers uh, of the pornographic variety when I was in my 20s was yep. fun. But at this point in my life as a 45-year-old man, as a married man, as someone who looks at the world with, with, with different lenses than I did back then. Uh, I'm a man of the future, not the past. And, and, and I don't think an extreme product really suits who I am anymore, where uh, I think people that know me, I'm still the same person I always was, but I was much more obnoxious, outrageous, energetic, wild, and all of those things. And, and now I, it, it it's just not my product right now. So once again, I, I heard the show went incredibly well for them and I have friends that are still involved and I wish them all the success. And I even wish Rob some success. I, I wish him the most success, you know, and that it works out for him. But for me, like I said, at 45 years old, I'm, I'm into pursuing my future and that future to me would include being a role model. Uh, the, the world's gone crazy, man. The world's yeah. gone bat crap crazy. And, and I don't think me pushing an extreme agenda helps that in any way. And, and I've gotten a lot softer uh, as I've gotten older, but but I'm I'm quite okay with my softness and sensitivity, and I'd rather uh, pursue that message and 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 that vibe than than take it. It's funny. I mean, I used to cut crazy promos in XPW that I've gone back and watched some tapes on, and it's like, wow, what a filthy mouth I had, and <laughs> and like, yeah, it was it was. I mean. We reenacted a rape scene from Clockwork Orange. I mean, like, it's like, that's, yeah. at this point in my life, I don't see myself being able to endorse something like that. So, as we hit the wind down, we head towards the finish. I know you said you're writing, right? So, you got a new ebook. What is, what's up with that? What is it? Yeah, I wrote an ebook. It's available at howtobeaprowrestler.com. And it's an easy read and resource guide for anyone who wants to start and pursue their journey in the pro wrestling industry. Essentially, it kind of just breaks down what it takes 
what you need to do to prepare yourself, how to find a wrestling school and good training. And then once you're training, how to kind of have the mindset to create your personality, to be large in life and stand out amongst the masses so that you can have success and hopefully make money doing it as a profession and not just as a hobby. What made you want to write that? Just just in your head, you had so much knowledge to kind of uh, give out? So the inspiration was really how I kind of got my way into the wrestling industry. And I remember back in, in, in those late 90s, flipping through PWI Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine, and there was an ad from Percy Pringle, and it was a pamphlet that you can order called The Inside Secrets of How You Can Be a Part of Pro Wrestling. And it was this little pamphlet book, nothing crazy. I mean, maybe 30, 40 pages. And it was just kind of a breakdown of wrestling schools and wrestling promotions and the terminology. And it was, you know, before the internet at that point. So it just kind of pulled back the curtain and allowed you to learn what it takes to, to break in. So I wanted to take that to the next level with this book. So obviously a lot of the information that's in the book is readily and easily available for people that put in the time and research to, to go do the due diligence to, 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 to pursue that path. But what I did was make it really easy for you and give you that PDF or give you that ebook on an Amazon Kindle store where you have all of those resources in one spot. It's about 40, 50 pages. It has a directory of about 25 to 30 of some you know, of the top wrestling schools with the top trainers that are all credible. And as I said, it kind of gives you that also breakdown to stand up for yourself. Uh, one thing I would say is wrestling talks a lot about respect. And when you break into it, you're pushed the idea of respect. But a lot of times that word is thrown around without the meaning of it being actually used uh, and, and, and given. So I, I think you need to take respect in the wrestling industry. I think you need to take control of your own career. And while, yes, you have to listen to instructions. And yes, when you're given direction from a booker, you have to do what's being asked of you. But at the same point, you also have to take control of your career and understand that there's a difference between Vince McMahon, Tony Khan, uh, Court Bauer, uh, and, and any of the other major promoters asking you to do something when you're getting paid well and someone who's giving you $5 or a hot dog asking you to do something you're not uncomfortable with. You need to be able to take control of your career and not do it just because it's there. You, you got to be a businessman, I mean, or a business person. And I think that's one of the things that the book gets into is that it is a business. And if it's something you want to do as a hobby and just because, that's great. And there's ways to go do that. And there's places you can do that. But there's so many people who are trying to make it their profession that you got to treat it as a business. And by treating it as a business, you have to have respect for yourself. You have to have you, you have to have the ability to stand up for yourself and you have to sometimes make demands. I, I think most wrestling schools preach a humility that I don't think breeds success in the wrestling industry. And as someone who dealt with extras for coming to, to, to NXT or Raw or SmackDown, I think you find that so many of the well-trained wrestlers that come from these schools stand there in the backstage area with their hands crossed in front of them and in their suits that don't fit well. And they stand there and they look uncomfortable and they look scared and, oh, are they going to talk to me? Or can I talk to them? Or what should I do? What should I do? And it's like, no, man, you got to walk in that room and own it. You got to be the person who you are. You got to be the character that you claim you are 24-7. And I'll even go, it doesn't have to be 24-7, but it has to be any moment you are surrounded by anyone in the wrestling industry, anything pertaining to the wrestling industry, you should be in character. And as a heel, that doesn't mean you go be a prick to everyone. No, but you should be authentic to the character you're portraying because even a heel is still cool to their friends and gets along with the people that they get along with. So don't be an asshole, but at the same point, be true to the character you are trying to represent. If you have an opportunity to be seen by executives of the highest level of the company you want to work for, then standing here doing this 
isn't going to get you anywhere. But standing there with a big personality and a boisterous energy and a willingness to do what's asked and an eagerness to be involved and listening and learning and all of those things, that's how you make opportunities happen for yourself. So I love when people say, hey, open your eyes, open your ears, close your mouth. I don't agree. Open your mouth, man. Like that's something I'll say. Once again, there's a balance. Find a balance of the right time and a place to open your mouth. Don't interrupt when something important is going on. Don't disrupt when, 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 when a lecture is going on. But you need to find a way to be confident, to be larger than life, and make the opportunity happen for yourself. Well said. I like that. So I know, obviously, you got the book, you got the music projects, you got the podcast. Where can everybody find you, social media, and all the podcast and the music and everything else you got coming out? Absolutely. So much going on. And the best way to keep uh, to keep abreast of all the information would be at my website, ryanissmiley.com. Uh, that has everything there. You can also go to howtobeaprowrestler.com to order the ebook. If you're on Amazon and have an Amazon Kindle, you can search for How to Be a Pro Wrestler in the Kindle store. It'll be available there. Social media is a mix between I am Smiley and Ryan is Smiley. The podcast is called Oh You Didn't Know, and it's available on Apple. It's available on Spotify. It's available on YouTube and everywhere else you get your podcasts. Tune in, listen, subscribe, share, and yo ass better call somebody and tell them to listen to. All right. Awesome stuff, Ryan. Thank you so much for the time. Appreciate that. Pause. I appreciate getting the chance to chat with you and, and, and get to speak about some of those stories and plug some of my things. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies brother.